When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The midterm elections are just around the corner. Today, we're sharing conversations with women leaders from both parties as you consider your options heading into the polls. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. politics, a very special episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are together in the same room in Cincinnati for the Cincinnati Podcast Festival. And better than that, better than Beth and I being in the same room, we are joined by Elise and Dylan. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hi. The whole team is here. We're so excited. I was talking to them earlier about how it's weird to be with people who feel like your family, but realize that you've never actually been in their physical presence. (laughs) (laughs) My husband is going to be very happy that you're real and didn't murder me. Yeah. He has concerns about Elise's safety because she only knew us from the internet. He definitely thought there was a plot and or scheme to kill her. There is not. We're just here to get to know each other in real life and continue our good work as Pantsuit Politics. And today we are getting ready for the midterm elections. We have two very special interviews to share with you from not candidates, but people who are prominent in both parties. We'll talk a little bit more about them in a second. But first, Dylan and Elise, what has it been like in your experience having all of these wonderful candidates come through the Pantsuit Politics team? It's been so exciting. I think specifically because we have focused on female candidates, right? We've only had female candidates on the show. And it's been really 
when the news is super depressing, <laughs> it's been very encouraging to counterbalance that with these interviews and interacting with the candidates a little bit behind the scenes has has only boosted that the women that we've had on are real and they're awesome and it's just been it makes me really excited for tuesday even though i'm also really nervous <laughs> i think it's really cool because we both get to listen to the unedited first too so we get to see you know that pre-conversation that post-conversation and just all the little idiosyncrasies that go with a person that when they're on stage or giving their speeches, like you're not going to hear all of that. And then definitely just the exposure to these ladies that I probably in my normal life wouldn't hear about them. Or I wouldn't get a chance. So just getting a different perspective, something different for me. You also guys hear that amazing moment when I confused a candidate who was in fact not a CIA agent with one who was a CIA agent, but was like, oh, wait, that she's not her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that was least, so gracious. Yeah, I'll take at least partial credit for that since I scheduled three interviews with <laughs> on the same day. Listen, y'all, it was a lot. <laughs> it's been important to us, though, to talk with anybody and not do this weird dance that a lot of media outlets do of viability, like only talking to people who they think are going to win from the beginning. Mm. That's just a terrible way to do democracy. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked to candidates who I hope were more viable after talking with us than before and need more opportunities to get their ideas out there um, instead of being stifled. Every single person we've talked with, I think, has been so impressive. Like Elise said, very authentic. Um, and I just, I hope that we've done some kind of public service by talking to everyone. And I, I really appreciate everyone's time with us too. Well, and I just think it's really important to highlight all the candidates sort of separate, like you said, from whether or not they could win because so many of them were trying to accomplish something very specific just by campaigning. Mm -hmm. Like they were trying to send a message about how to engage in government and how to be, how to civically participate and how it could look to run campaigns in a different way. And that is an incredibly important goal all by itself. Whether or not they get the chance to govern, the chance that they campaigned in such different, unique, inspiring ways was incredibly important to highlight and to share with everybody. So we've gotten lots of questions about whether we're going to follow up with these candidates. Elise, you want to give everybody an assurance about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. There are several that I already am in conversations with. We already have a few um, follow-up conversations on the calendar for December and into the new year. So you will be hearing from some of these candidates again, um, which actually I have a question for everyone. I know we're polling for all of these wonderful women to be in office come the new year. Is there anyone that stood out to you all, like this have a secret election night hope? <laughs> because I kind of do. I have one that really stood out to me. I mean, all of them, but anyone else? Well, because I'm in Kentucky, I am very personally invested mm -hmm. in Amy McGrath's election. I think it's very important for our state. And so I, I'm really pulling for Amy McGrath. I think everyone is so impressive. The other person that really kind of spoke to me was Jessica Morse in California. Mm -hmm. And I thought Abigail Spangberger because she continues to just rock the campaign and her messaging and she was so powerful. In our interview and in, in all of her, her campaign materials and the way she speaks and engages with constituents. And I still think about, and I was thinking about it when I, when I answered the question a minute ago, Tabitha Eisner, she was like at the very beginning. But she was the one who said, I'm doing this to, to show a different way to be involved in politics. It's not just about how I govern. She was, she was a minister, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was amazing. I think about her a lot.
like you're right, like we're pulling for all of them, but chances are that a few of them are going to lose and hopefully more than not win. But it'll be interesting when we do the interviews again, just get the different perspectives of, okay, so you've lost, what are you going to, what's the next step? Because I think a lot of times you see these candidates and you don't actually hear about the next step for mm-hmm. the person who lost. Totally. And that's what's so cool when you see a candidate and you look back at their history and it's like, oh, they've lost a few times. Yeah. But they had to do that to get to this point to know, okay, what's important to people? How can I present myself? Which is hard. It, that's the political process. And mm-hmm. hopefully it doesn't change their ethics or what they stand for. But it will be interesting to hear all that, the aftermath. And I think we are not finished hearing from any of these women. I think yeah, every yeah. single person we talked with has something really important to contribute. And that they are contributing, mm-hmm. even just by running. Absolutely. Thank you to Elise and Dylan for joining us for a little quick chat. We wanted to share these interviews today because we thought it was so important before Election Day to encourage everyone to vote by sharing two diverse sides of the aisle, which we try to do here on Pantsuit Politics. We really tried hard to get more Republican women running for office on the show, but for a lot of reasons, there are fewer of them, and many weren't able to make it on the show because of scheduling conflicts or differing communication strategies. We didn't get as many voices as we wanted, and so we reached out to Sarah Chamberlain, the CEO of the Republican Main Street Partnership, who's been on the show before, to have a conversation with us about that, about female leadership in the Republican Party and what that looks like now, the challenges moving forward, and how to make a difference. And as you'll hear from her and you'll hear from our other interview, the central message a lot of the time is vote. We have to vote. We have to participate in our democracy. And that's why we chose these two voices to share today. And we hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Sarah Chamberlain. She was incredibly gracious to come and talk with us about the challenges of female leadership in the Republican Party, which we think is incredibly important conversation to have. And we're just so thankful that she came on the show. We are so excited to be back with Sarah Chamberlain, the head of the Republican Main Street Partnership. She is currently engaged on a women-to-women listening tour, and we can't wait to hear about the current work she's doing and have a conversation about women in the Republican Party. Welcome, Sarah. Great. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your your travels right now and what you're doing across the country. So we travel around the country, and we, we have on our panel key women leaders and I, and, and I emphasize women because it's nonpartisan, leaders in the community. And we talk with women about what's happening as far as legislation in D.C. that's getting passed um, and just kind of what's going on in the community. It's kind of an, an empowering type session. And it's really important to get the women um, engaged in, in policies that are passing that are affecting their lives. And, and many people don't even know some of the legislations getting passed they've never heard of a lot of it. I mean, I asked them at my last event to raise their hands if they knew anything about the Pell Grant uh, legislation that was signed and nobody had any idea yet. You know, college age kids, that's very important. You can all get a Pell Grant year round. So it's things like that. So it's an education tour from both sides. The women educate us on the huge issues that they're dealing with and we educate them on what's being done in the community level as well as the federal level. And if you want more information about that Pell Grant legislation, I talked to Sarah several months ago, and we'll link that episode in the show notes. We talked about the the importance of Pell Grants. We talked about um, legislation designed to address the opioid epidemic. And just uh, I want to make sure to say that Sarah's been doing this work for a very long time. And you can hear a lot about just the Women to Women program in that first interview. 
So how have things changed since we talked the last time? What are you hearing from women in your focus groups and as you travel the country? The issues have shifted a little bit, not much, but the number one issue now is healthcare and not paying for it. That That's not the access to good healthcare. And I, I also will continue to tie in opioid and mental health into that big umbrella, but that's becoming a, a huge concern, um, pre-existing conditions, things like that. Um, so that's what we talk with them about. And then a few other things are school safety. That has become a bigger issue than it ever was before with uh, some of the shootings in the past. Um, I'm doing one in uh, California tomorrow. I'm sure the uh, bombs and the, and the synagogue shooting will probably come up. And again, it's around safety. How do we begin to, to protect our kids, our community? So that pops up. The other thing that's a huge issue is cybersecurity. People are beginning to understand, you know, our kids can be stalked on, uh, you know, through cybersecurity, things like that, through the, through the internet. And that's becoming a big thing. You know, they don't want um, people reaching out to their kids and the kids falling into that trap. So we've passed a few cybersecurity bills that are helpful. So I'm referring to the women that we're meeting with now as more security type women. They care about their families, healthcare, so the security there, and then they care about the physical security of their families. I like how you're defining security broadly. I think that makes sense to me. What do you see going into the midterm elections in terms of options for Republican women? Are there lots of women candidates that you're excited about? We've talked to a slew of Democratic women running for office on Fancy Politics. We've not been successful in interviewing Republican women. We're so glad you're here to talk about these candidates. So what what are you feeling really good about right now? I'm feeling great about California. There's a woman by the name of Young Kim, who I'm actually out here in her district. And um, she is she will be the first Korean woman ever elected to Congress on either side. Um, she is great. She is focusing on the issues. She's talking about what matters in her community. Uh, Mimi Walters, who is also out here in a, in a nearby um, district, she is doing very well. She, um, The polls shown her a little bit in trouble, but she's come back again by focusing on the, the issues that are important to her district. Um, I have a woman, Maria Salazar, in Miami. Um, running against Donna Shaleva. That was the seat the Republicans thought they'd probably have to give up once Eliana Ross Layton decided to retire. But um, Maria's doing a good job there. So I do have some very interesting women. I've got one in New Jersey, in um, West Virginia. I've got a few others, but they don't get the attention because there aren't as many um, as, as I was in the Democratic women. But we're making strides. The GOP, we're making strides. We had more women run the cycle than we've ever had run before um, on the GOP side. And and we intend to begin to develop the GOP women's side and, and try to get more of them to run and be successful in 2020. That's interesting because that's not that different from the answer that the, that the Democratic female candidates give, which is we just try to focus on the issues. Right, right. Everybody, all the Main Street type Republicans, we're actually back home in our districts talking about the issues that matter to our members and to our residents and to the voters. And again, a lot of the legislation we have passed, they have no idea it passed. Um, so we're reminding them of that. And most of it's been done on a, in a bipartisan way, which also people don't understand. There are some bipartisan bills that, uh, that do get through Congress and President Trump signs. 
Um, so that that's what's important. This this election cycle, more than ever, it's important to focus on, on your district and how the people are feeling in your districts. So I want to ask you about that, Sarah. And I want to be sure to say that we're we're so glad that you're here and we want to treat you know, everybody on the podcast, like a guest in our homes. So I say this in earnestness and I see and value what you do particularly. I'm not trying to kind of work out all my Republican frustration here, <laughs> but, but I want to well, say, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to say that I'm, I'm struggling right now. And in national races coming into the midterms, I don't feel good about supporting the party because what I'm really looking for is a check on this administration. And while there are, you know, a handful of things over the past two years that I think have have been done well, I don't think that they're important enough to me to outweigh the the ugliness that I see during these rallies and the ugliness that I see on Twitter and the immigration policies that I find disturbing. And so I guess I want to ask you if you're hearing this in your work and what you see as the path forward is, as you talk about getting more Republican women running for Congress and engaging women more in the party, I, I guess I would just love for you to speak to me and women like me about where, where we can go from here. Sure. So my first thing, I, I, I really beg you, do not leave the party, because if you leave the party, you cannot change the party. You can't vote in primaries in many of the, the states, depending upon where you live. Please stay in the party. Make sure you vote in the primaries. That is becoming a huge problem. People do not vote in primaries. So you get the fringes of both parties, Republicans and Democrats, that turn out. They're the motivated ones. The people like you and I aren't necessarily voting. Our voices have to be heard. You have to vote twice primary and general election. So that would be my first message. Um, moving forward, I understand um, there are a lot of women, um, Republican GOP women that feel the way you do. I get that. What we're trying to focus on are the issues. And a lot of women tell me they like the issues. They like, you know, the, the more money in their paychecks. They like the, the economy. They like the, you know, job situation. They do not, they, they join the first lady and not liking the tweets all the time. And I understand that that is a problem. Um, you know, we do our best to, to, you know, try to control that. I don't think anybody can. I think that's his style. But again, as discouraged as you may or may not be, there are some great Republican members of the House and Senate that still deserve your vote because they're not like that. And I ask each woman to take a look at their member of Congress and see if you can agree with how they're conducting themselves and how uh, they're conducting their votes. I think no matter what happens, this will be a very close House and a close Senate. So I think we have the opportunity to get a lot of good legislation through. And I think that um, that will make women happier and men um, and maybe ignore some more of the tweets. But I certainly understand where you're coming from. Um, and that is why for 2020, I'm trying to get out there and, and meet more women and, again, get them to vote in the primaries and the generals. Yeah, I haven't changed my registration largely because of what you're saying, because I believe it's my responsibility to try to make the party better through my primary participation. Um, I just I'm I'm struggling with that dividing line between style and substance. I feel like it gets blurrier all the time. and. 
there there are many Republicans in um, the House and the Senate who I respect individually, but I just I'm I'm having a hard time, and I'm I'm glad that you're out there listening to women like me, and that you're able to take that information back to your members to share. And I and I share it with them on a on a regular basis, and they're trying to focus again, you know, on what I talked about earlier in their elections, and and really what they've done for their communities and separating a little bit. Now, there are some GOP that having the president in gives them a big boost. And then there's some areas of uh, the country that obviously the president going in does not give a big boost. It just depends on, you know, what part of the country you live in. And Donald Trump, as our president, it, he does cut both ways. There's there's no denying that. He certainly enjoys keeping his base fired up, which we also need in order to have my men and women uh, win, win next Tuesday, I also need a base to turn out. So it is a fine line. But again, we're just focusing on stay in the party, make the changes from within the party, get to, make sure your friends stay in the party and, and vote. And if you like what your member is doing, continue to vote for him and her because this too shall pass. And, um, you know, in in a few years, you're going to still want a really good member that represented you well sitting in that seat. I think what's so hard is this trying to thread the needle of, like you said, he cuts both ways. And because of the current state of primaries and the fact that people, it is extremes, the people who try to cut both ways lose in those extreme primaries and the people who just come out and say, I'm not going to stand with the president on this. They're losing in the primaries. And I definitely understand. And, but then you're turning around in the election and trying to talk to a different, more moderate voter. And I just think that's a really, I mean, I don't envy you. I think that's a, or any Republican woman running, because I think that's a very difficult needle to thread to talk, to try to talk to one group in a primary and a different group in the election. Not that, you know, every politician doesn't go through that to a certain extent. I just think that's a very difficult dance. It is a very difficult dance and and we would not have to do it as much if, if again, people vote in the primaries and the generals. I mean, we have to get people to start to take the primaries seriously and, and to turn out and vote. We cannot change the, the culture unless we vote twice. And and I, I think on the Democratic side, you're going to start to see them go through some growing pains as well, because some of their electorate did not vote in the primaries, and you have some extreme candidates. So I think the Florida race is interesting. You have kind of the far left and the far right candidates. And, uh, and that will be interesting to see how that turns out next Tuesday as well. But you got to vote twice. I mean, that's if I could have one fantasy in life, that would be it. Please vote twice, because I think that if you vote in primaries, you'd get a, a, a different type of candidate who could be the same candidate throughout the whole race. So, Sarah, you mentioned that healthcare is the number one issue you're talking about. I would love to know what that conversation sounds like in your tour and what kinds of actionable information you're taking back to your members about healthcare. So the first thing is pre-existing conditions, and uh, I, I will fully admit the Democrats are talking about that issue better. Though we didn't eliminate pre-existing conditions as the GOP, um, so that's an issue. Trying to explain to them, like, no, I mean, pre-existing conditions absolutely are are still covered um, without question. 
And so that's one of them kind of explaining all of that through that, through that. And then talking about, you know, access to, to good medical care. Usually on the panel, I have a woman who is in the healthcare industry, whether she's a CEO of a hospital or insurance, you know, local insurance company, uh, a big insurance company, but local to that area. And they can really talk about specifically. And then the other issue is the mental health part of that. Um, you know, with everything that's going on in the society, we have a mental health crisis and, and we cannot ignore that. People can call it a thousand other names, but but mental health kind of is where it starts. And we need um, and, and people are begging for more access to beds and and therapists. And that's what um, a bill that uh, that we passed this year or actually last year, the cycle um, is talking about. So 21st Century Cures. The first mental health bill since JFK this year, this cycle, we've added more money to it. So there is um, help out there. Is it enough? Maybe not, but it's certainly a first step forward since, as I said, nothing had been done since the 60s. So we continue to move that. And then the other thing is, is the opioid. Um, you know, where do you go for help? How do we combat this? You know, are there painkillers that are not addictive? All of those types of questions come in, and then and we do talk about again some bills that that were passed in, in a bipartisan way through Energy and Commerce, and then the House and Senate that President Trump signed that address it and tell you where to go to get some help. So that's that's the big nut around the healthcare, and you know it used to be senior healthcare. You know what do we do for our parents, but now it, it's really shifted into mental health, opioid, and pre-existing. I feel like we're in this weird space with healthcare and a bunch of issues where we're not really talking in a visionary way. It's more uh, defensive. Like, what are we going to change or not change about the Affordable Care Act? Right. And I wonder on on a, on the spectrum of issues, if you were designing sort of the 2020 messaging for presidential candidates and for members of Congress who are on ballots, what would you say, this is what we should really be talking about? And this is kind of the bold vision for America that we should be sharing out there. My first one would be explaining to the American people about the healthcare system. And is it perfect? No. Do I think it needs some changes? Absolutely. But people don't even understand it at this point. There was such a fight between Obamacare and the Republicans and that that it got somewhere confused. And, and what we're really facing with is the Republicans want to fix the system we have and the Democrats want to go to what I call socialized medicine. The country really needs to address that. So that would be one topic. If I could have my wish, we would have a serious discussion about that, not a political argument on whose side is right, but a real discussion about where this country should go moving forward on that. I also think we have to have a real discussion. Again, everybody come to the table, take off your Republican Democratic hat and talk about mental health. We have a mental health crisis going on in this country. And that includes opioids kind of in that as well. What are we going to do to address that? We have got to figure these problems out. And and if I could have my dream, I would have a whole week of the thought provocators leaving their political parties outside the door and coming in and talking as Americans and sitting down and trying to solve these crises as they're going on in this country together, because that is how the country moves forward. And I think that is what most of the Americans want. 
We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pantsuit. Next up, we're sharing our conversation with Ambassador Swanee Hunt. She recently told PBS NewsHour why women need a seat at the table to make peace last an activist, philanthropist, academic, artist, and internationalist. She provokes change for the good, advancing inclusive security abroad and social justice in the United States. We have a fantastic conversation with Ambassador Hunt about political parity and about why women in leadership matter. And I think she really gets to the heart of the future of women in the Democratic Party. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation. We are just delighted to be here with Ambassador Swanee Hunt. 
who served our country during the Clinton administration as ambassador to Austria and has really served our country for most of her life in a variety of ways. As an activist, as a philanthropist, she's co-founded and founded many organizations, and it is just a true honor and privilege to have you with us today. Oh, thank you. And and do me a favor and uh, call me Swanee, okay? Well, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Sure. It was hard to narrow down what we wanted to talk with you about because you have so many interesting experiences and so much expertise. Given where we are, that we're so close to the midterm elections, we really wanted to focus on your leadership around getting more women in high-level leadership positions, both domestically and internationally. You talk a lot about inclusive security, and we would love for you to share that concept with our audience and how you arrived at that concept. The idea is that if you really want global security, you've got to be inclusive. And the the group that is uh, the most left out at the negotiating table as the ministers, meaning this like secretary of interior, et cetera, the group that is most left out uh, is the women. Of course, there are mountain tribes. Uh, there are there are different subsets within the population. But every country has you know, massive numbers, obviously, of women. And these women come to um, to the decision making point with very different life experiences, with very different inclinations, different skills. And when you don't have them at the table, you're missing out on at least half of the experience in the country that would be valuable in terms of creating peace agreements, et cetera, et cetera. And I can say more about that. But there's also a difference in how pugilistic, how combative men are compared to women at at points where they have to be working together. Uh, So, for example, if, in fact, you want to stop a war between two groups, you've got to have people on both sides who are willing to stop the killing. And you'll find women on one side able to reach across sometimes decades of threats, of maiming, of killing, et cetera, reach across that to connect with the women on the other side. And similarly, we wring our hands on and on and on about gridlock. Well, you know, the country's never been so divided, blah, 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 blah. What are we going to do? Blah, blah. No one knows what to do. Can't get anything through Congress. Well, hey, as a matter of fact, we do know what to do. Surprise, right? We know what to do here, just like just like uh, they know what to do in South Sudan or they know what to do in Colombia and so many places where I've worked where they brought women in to the decision making and the, and the war is significantly shortened or it's prevented or there's healing after the conflict. So I don't know why. When we talk about the international experience, we aren't talking about the United States because after all, we are part of international, right? Absolutely. It just, just, we are so, uh, we are so chauvinistic to think, you know, that somehow international is everyone but us. But anyway, so you can look at other parts of the world and you don't 
need to think, oh, well, that's way far away and our situation is different because frankly, everyone's situation is different. So uh, we need to be much more humble as as we look at at ourselves vis-a-vis the rest of the world. Well, as our our rhetoric, particularly at the administration level, becomes so nationalistic and is the exact opposite of what you're talking about, just this idea that we are not connected to the international community. I think there's such an intimidation factor with the everyday citizen, uh, particularly the everyday female citizen or mom who knows that that's not, who sort of knows instinctually that that's not the right approach, but feels so disconnected from foreign policy. I mean, what would you tell her? What would you say is a good way to connect to that subject matter and get involved? First of all, of course, there's the reading. And by the way, be sure and read my books, not anyone else's. On this <laughs> uh, but, but really, if you were to go into, uh, let's say, if you were to just Google inclusive security, which you know, we, we've worked in scores of countries, then you would find one example after another after another. But I can, I can bring a few to you, for example, the work in Rwanda. There were two genocides going on at the same time. One was in Rwanda, where the equivalent of 32 million Americans killed in one summer by their neighbors. And that's what was happening in Rwanda. And and yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, wow. how upset we. I'm mean, not that we shouldn't get upset, but you know, if 10,000 people are killed, we would think you know it's a major, major, major cataclysm. And there it was 32 million, right? 10% of the population. So we can look and see how they managed. And we can look at Bosnia and see the, the difference in what happened in Bosnia. And there we'll see a, a you know, night and day kind of con- contrast that will tell us a lot about our own country. And, and let me let me clarify that when I say 32 million, I'm saying if Rwanda, 10% of the people were slaughtered, that's what the equivalent would be if it were Americans. So, and I was very involved in in the Bosnian one because I was ambassador in Vienna, and that was the closest city that to the uh, the horrors that were going on as Yugoslavia was falling apart, this was 93, 94, 95, there were concentration camps, there were rape camps, there was, I mean, it it was, people were being, I I don't even, I'm not even going to talk about it on the radio, because it's so gory. But it was out of, of the Third Reich, you know, if, if you want to get a sense of it. And so there are all these refugees fleeing across the border. And we were trying to figure out how do we stop this war? How do we stop this war? How do we stop this war? And I hosted negotiations for 14 days. And it wasn't until the peace agreement was being signed that I looked around at the White House and saw, good Lord, how did I miss that? Because it was a sea of gray suits. And in and I, I'm a real women's advocate, right? And so I didn't see that there were no women involved. Which it just seems impossible that I wouldn't see that. Uh, I mean, how can that be? And I'm talking, I'm not talking about like five or six. 
I'm talking about like 60 people who were involved in these negotiations and not one woman. And so I, first of all, that is my, my failure story and a very, very significant failure story. And that's one of the things that, that brought me into this work because you asked how I came to be doing it. It was out of that failure because uh, of all the countries in Europe, in Eastern Europe, when communism imploded, Yugoslavia, which is what Bosnia was part of, Yugoslavia had the lowest percentage of women in the parliament. And that's the country that fell apart. And I don't think that's just an interesting correlation. And so anyway, so then you go down to Rwanda, which was happening at the same time. And Rwanda was a a setting in which uh, women were not to speak if a man was present in any kind of uh, council or even after dinner conversation. And in Bosnia, by the way, it's the highest percentage of women PhDs of any country in Europe. Okay, so here you have the, the PhD country, Yugoslavia, which Bosnia was part of. They're the ones who then exclude women. And then in in Rwanda, where you have this massive chaos, that chaos cracked open this culture and women surged into the breach. Wow. And and it was so different. And then you saw women get themselves onto the constitutional drafting committee. I mean, both of these countries needed new constitutions. So it's, it's a concept that's always been hard for me as an American to really, you know, grapple with. But the, the places have to be writing new constitutions, but they do. And and so in in Rwanda, this place where women were really, really, really marginalized, all of a sudden they're helping draft con- the constitution. And what do they do? They say in there that 30% at least of the places in any part of the government have to be women. And as they fill those seats in the parliament, filling them with the women who come up through the village councils, et cetera, et cetera, women only village councils, because women couldn't speak if a man was there, created these women only civil society groups, we would say, you know, and then they filled the seats in the parliament. But that would only account for 30% of the seats, right? So what happened is that the women who had who were in those seats very soon said, you know, I have all this name recognition. I understand how government works. I I know what's going on in this country. I'm going to give up my seat. So it's just the opposite of what you would think. I'm going to give up my seat and I'm going to essentially promote one of my sisters, as she would say, meaning a, another woman who had much less experience. And she said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to run against the men. Huh. And using that method, women became 64% of the parliament. Now, mind you, mind you, this was at a time when in our country, we were about 18%. And and then similarly, half the Supreme Court, half the president's cabinet, et cetera. 
If you look at the United States, our dear United States of America, there are 101 countries ahead of us in terms of the percentage of women in parliament and, and are in Congress. I don't think it's just accidental that we let our political leadership get away with the nationalism and the meanness and the misogyny, et cetera, that, that we're seeing today. I, I just think that that strand in our society is allowed to fester and then erupt in part because we don't have very large groups of women in the Congress. It was such a relief to me when you started out by saying, we're so polarized, but we know what to do. I don't hear enough people saying we know what to do. I feel that when I talk with Sarah all the time, that this isn't that complicated. We have big challenges, but working together through those challenges isn't that complicated. And then the the message from the rest of the world seems to be, no, it's incredibly difficult. We'll, we'll never get over it. You're being naive and unrealistic. I would love to hear you talk more about um, your your confidence that we can work through this and what kinds of concrete steps the United States needs to take to get there. One of the reasons I feel convinced that it would make a very big difference in terms of breaking the gridlock if we had more women is because we have statistics now that demonstrate how women work across the aisles more than men do. I mean, it's a statistical difference. Now, they work more across the aisles with women in the other parties. They even co-sponsor more bills than men do with other men. So imagine the difficulty, first of all, with about 30-40% women in the Democratic caucus, the Democratic Party in Congress, They are supposed to be and want to be working with Republican women in the Republican group in Congress. So imagine how hard that is. If you have women on both sides, which you do, who want to be working together with other women, and they are about 30 to 40 percent in the Democratic caucus, the Democrats in Congress, and they are only 8% in the Republican. So, I mean, that is really, really hard in terms of just, you know, the ratio. Uh, And when I talk to the Republican women, they are furious about the fact that they're only 8%. They're not furious that they're Democrats. They were furious with their own party because they feel like they don't get the party support. And of course we can say, oh, well, but about so-and-so, and and, oh, well, but about so-and-so. But I'm telling you, behind closed doors, I mean, I've talked to Tea Party women who others consider like on the right edge about to fall off. And when you close those doors and the staff people leave the room, they, they use language that would make a sailor blush talking about, about their own party. And what happens is that Republican women who run in very large numbers, they can't get out of their primaries because they don't have. Oh, that's part- interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Democratic women, I mean, at, if anything, at this point right now with the Me Too movement in particular, 
Democratic women are seen as a real plus. And so that, and of course they have, you know, the sexism that they have to get past, et cetera, et cetera, that, that's so inherent in the society. But overall, the Democrats have said, wow, we've got a good, things go, a good thing going here. And especially after this election with the primary races, and now what's going to happen with the general, I think, you know, there's no way that there's going to be significant uh, backsliding in the future within the Democratic Party. Now, my hope is that the Republicans are going to look at these results and say, wait a minute, what are we missing? Well, what we're missing is having women candidates. And why don't we have women candidates? Because we don't, don't give them support to get out of their primaries. And in fact, I talked to to people who are working really hard on this in the Republican Party, and they are they are feeling miserable about the fact that Republican women will not gain any seats to speak of. And they may lose seats, actually, in this election, the same election where Democratic women are poised to be taking a lot of seats. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. 
Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I feel miserable about that. <laughs> I, I, everything that you're saying is such a comfort to me. It is it is so um, nice to hear someone say that so plainly. I hope that you're right, that some lessons will be learned here. I I feel uncomfortable about that given the the leadership at the top of the party right now, which probably is a good transition because I would love to ask you about how you perceive the Me Too movement and the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh um, as part of this overall landscape that you've been involved in for decades now. Where where are we in the arc of working towards greater equality and, and leadership from women? Oi, 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 oi. Well, first of all, as, as you can imagine, when Hillary lost, I got messages from all over the world, all over the world, from the women that I work with. When uh, when Trump, and I can't actually call him President Trump, I'm sorry, but when Trump um, said that he was talking about, you know, shithole countries, I got messages. Actually, I sent messages to women all over the world, about 200 key friends, and and said, I just want you to know he is not speaking for the people of the United States. And you all know what horrible, horrible leadership looks like, because these are all people from war zones. And I said, uh, we prayed for you, you pray for us. And, and so what happens here with the Kavanaugh hearings, the same thing all over the world, women were contacting me and saying, how is this possible? And it wasn't, it wasn't, is he a misogynist now? It's that he lied about having been one. And, and you can't lie. I mean, what you, what you say as a judge five minutes ago is what's relevant or, or in this moment you may say, oh, well, those were drunk boys, teenage boys. I don't know, however you want to interpret that. But you can't lie about it and be and be a fair judge. That's that's the issue, at least for me. So people got that all over the world and they were on the edge of their seats. Now, of course, we can say that, well, it's a positive, at least, that that many in our country were aghast because that isn't what you saw during Anita Hill in the same way. There were a lot of men aghast now, in addition to the women who were, who were aghast when Anita Hill was happening. But yeah, it's still, part of it is in contrast to the Me Too movement. And also, you know, this is decades later 
you know, this is this is the time where we already had had the women's march, and and, and on the other hand, like I know I'm I'm sort of going back and forth in in my thinking because that's really how it feels. That you have yeah. social social action meets reaction, right? And so and that's just you know good old Hegel who taught taught us about that that every time the pendulum swings in one way, it's gonna it's gonna awaken the feelings in another. But this whole this whole denigration of women, I think that we're seeing right now, it's it's a natural response to what I see and would call a seismic shift that is creating a new women's movement. And you know, uh, you know what's fun is when you're right in the middle of the beginning of a movement, you don't you don't see it. You know, it, and uh, I know Hillary in her book What Happened, uh, where she describes what was going on when she lost, she's talking about the difference between misogyny and sexism. And she said, you know, misogyny is where you really hate women. Sexism, and she uses this story uh, that she got from someone else, but you've got these two young fish and they're swimming along and uh, a sort of older fish, old, what's called an old fish, right? Comes swimming toward them and says, hi boys, how's the water? And the two young fish keep swimming along. And finally, one of them turns to the other and says, what water? And I just right. think, oh, that's perfect. That that's is my perfect. favorite. We tell that story a lot on the podcast. I think it is so illustrative. But it really is the, the sense that I have that, you know, I, like I write to my friends who are strong, strong supporters of of sort of all things, radical Republican right now, and they don't see it. They can't see it, you know. And so Kavanaugh is just about, you know, will you, you know, will you be able to overturn Roe v. Wade? But that's what they said about Gorsuch, you know. And so, yeah. you know, there, there's just more to all of this. But, but that's why, you know, having, and and I'm going to use words that. I wouldn't have used um, two years ago, but I, I will now because the evidence is in. Having a sexual sociopath in the Oval Office has really propelled women into democratic politics. And I would, you know, in far-fetched numbers. And, and the reason I wouldn't have said sexual sociopath, I wouldn't have used the word sociopath. A sociopath is something very specific. It's not a psychopath. It's it, A sociopath means you find a pleasure in disrupting the society around you. And, and we're seeing that it's actually a, it's just a habit. It's a pleasure though. in let's get people fighting. And, and so listen, what happened yesterday and the day before in terms of the violence and, uh, you know, that's not accidental. It may be, it may be, it may be accidental in, in terms of no one from the White House you know, instructed anyone to do it, but it's 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 not just coincidental. There there is there really is a connection between having a rally and having people turn around and shake their fists at the the media who are behind their cameras and start booing. And, and having that condoned from, you know, from the podium or, you know, or having 
you know, during the campaign, having people chanting in the streets, you know, lock the bitch up, lock the bitch up. You know, it's just really just um, what have we done and what to, to create this, this awful, awful coarsening of our culture. And then what is the difference it makes if women are in positions of power in large numbers? And it makes a big, big difference. So sex trafficking has been a, a huge thing for me since I was ambassador and watched it going on after the fall of communism and and women by the literally the tens of thousands were being trafficked over to Western Europe to and put on the streets. And I say put on the streets because they were told that they would have jobs as models and waitresses and there were no jobs where the economies had imploded and the passports were taken from them by their new pimp and they were raped on the train and then we're going to send these pictures of you having sex back to your Catholic mother right in Poland. So I watched that. I was part of trying to stop it. I wrote about it in Foreign Affairs. So I came back here late 90s and said, you know, we got to do something here. And so started looking all over the world and figured out a model that we can do here. But I saw in Sweden where they said, okay, you know what? We are going to stop picking up and charging the women and girls who are on the streets who are being sold or are selling themselves for whatever reason. And we're going to focus only on the men. I'm not talking about the pimps, only on the men who are doing the buying. And when they, when they made that shift, they were able to decrease the number of women and girls being trafficked by huge, huge numbers, I mean, by 50% in five years. And then with every year that passed since then, with larger and larger numbers, until it's virtually not seen in Sweden. Now, how did that happen? It happened because women held a lot of seats in their parliament, their Congress. And women were the head of a lot of NGOs or nonprofits. And also they had the queen. Now, the queen makes a difference, right? And so we don't have Hillary, but we do have a a really groundswell. And we have a lot of women in the Senate and the House who are on to this. And you all care about issues that reach, that can be approached from the left and the right. This is absolutely one. Right wing says it's a sin what these guys are doing. Left wing says it's a human rights abuse. And of course, there's a lot of people on the left and the right who who share across the, those differences that I'm oversimplifying. But we could do the same here. And it's not just about the Swedes who, you know, who had this one idea. In France, they've passed even the strongest bill now in the world, as far as I know that says that men cannot be buying the bodies of women and girls. There's something inherently wrong about that because of the entitlement that men feel, that because they have the money and the women are vulnerable, or the girls, since the women start when they're about 14 doing this. So 
the men have the money and the girls are desperate. And so somehow this is a respectable you know, business transaction? No. But how did how did France come to have this great bill? Well, you'll recall that France requires that half of their cabinet be women. And it was the they have a 50-50 rule. And it was the women in the cabinet, I'm told, who pushed it and pushed it through the parliament. And they, they got it through their lower chamber, their house, and it kept getting stuck in the Senate because there was a buyer there who was. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's, that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. So anyway, what I'm telling you is in terms of legislation, it's not just how much should we spend on uh, on making sure that there are great gymnasiums in the in the inner city schools, which is a cause I care about, right? A lot, but this is about major, major human rights abuse that ends up with with people being killed and and dying early, et cetera, and we can get work across the aisles on some of the most disastrous situations. Oh, by the way, what we know is that democratic women vote, I'm gonna say better, I'm putting it in quotation marks, but it's better to me on the environment, in other words, you know, stopping climate change, than do the democratic men. And the Republican women vote better on the environment than the Republican men. So if you can bring those women together, I mean, you've got a real chance to, and you, you know what's happened in the sciences, you've got a real chance to save this planet. Mm -hmm. So from all of these issues, be it, you know, sexual slavery, trafficking, the environment, foreign policy, you have spent your lifetime dedicated to political parity and the importance of female representation. What would you say to, we have a lot of listeners right out of college, a lot of listeners that are engaging in the political process for the very first time. What would you say to them as they look out and sometimes get discouraged? How do you stay motivated? How do you stay hopeful to continue to dedicate yourself to these issues and to, to getting more women in positions of power? What should, what, right. what should we say to them? Well, it's involvement, 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 involvement. There is nothing that motivates me more than, you know, getting my buns off the sofa, getting in a car or somehow going with a friend, getting to someone's campaign office and being told here are the 12 blocks you're going to cover in the next two hours, and here's what you're going to do in terms of the knocking on the doors, etc. And when I do that, uh, that means I have to understand a little bit about this candidate. There's a good chance that she's going to come by and greet the volunteers, which is going to get me more excited. I'm going to be doing this as you know, with with another friend or a group of friends because I know how much fun that is, and I'm going to come back a changed person. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And we have everyone who's listening. And I'm not uh, everyone has a chance in some way or another to be part of 
what's going on right now. This is this is the moment. And this is not about, oh, I'm really going to make a point of being a good citizen and watching the election results. No, this is about shaping the election results. And you say, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, what can I do? You know, look, the, the, this this country is filled with what can I do? And the answer is you can do your bit. Mm. Right. You just do your bit. It shapes not just the election. It shapes who you are. And and the other, that's important to know that we are shaped in the future by decisions we made in the past. There isn't a better time than right now to shape yourself for the future by what you do in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I love that. I think that's such a perfect note to end on, don't you, Beth? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. This was a wonderful conversation. And again, just a a real honor to have you on. Thank you so much to Sarah Chamberlain and Ambassador Swanee Hunt for joining us today. Everybody, go vote. If you haven't voted already, please get out there. Your voices matter. We appreciate you all so much. And we really want to see Tuesday's elections end with everyone knowing that we've done our parts. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday, Election Day. Go vote, just like Beth said. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.